0: Cambodian (coughs) monk.
1: And it said that um, uh, during the war in Cambodia when there were these um, refugee camps and um, the people living there had undergone the most intense experiences of war, of murder, of rape, of losing your homes. Uh, losing your family, of perhaps losing some of your limbs or your good health. And um, I don't know about you, but um, I just remember as a context of the story once when um, my sister took one of my favorite dresses and I wanted to wear it at a party we were both going to. how rageful I was and um, how easy it is over something small, let alone big, to become deeply defended and rageful. And so in that context, understandably those feelings, um, this young, this small—he's small, he's small, he's five foot something monk, um, started to walk through the camps with his hands together praying. And he was praying and chanting. Seems like there's a is there feedback? Is it is it? Yeah, some kind of feedback. Maybe this is too close. I'll put it down there. That's better. Um, he was praying and um, uh, with his hands together, just walking around and around the camp, saying, "Hatred never dispels hatred. Only loving kindness can heal hatred." This is the eternal and ancient law. Hatred never dispels hatred. Only love can dispel hatred. This is the ancient and eternal law. And he had, just going back to the theme that we um, talked about yesterday, such deep faith in the understanding of loving-kindness and the goodness that he, it brings, that he just kept going around the camps with enchanting um, this, with his hands together. And then eventually um, ended up sitting somewhere in a slightly elevated position, an hour after hour chanting this. And slowly people mm-hmm. started to feel the vibration of this energy. And all those people who one can only imagine how furious and offended and hating they were found this path, this opening outside of the intensity of that suffering and contraction and started to come together and pray with him and chant with him until there were thousands of Cambodians sitting together chanting hour after hour after hour so um, today I wanted to in particular explore together one of the qualities probably one of the most important and beautiful qualities that we can have faith in as a community and that is the quality of loving-kindness this energy of friendship that is non-discriminate, that is non-preferential, and um, one of the experiences that most exemplifies that for me is um, what happened in uh, the teachers meeting a number of years ago that we had here at Spirit Rock. We were up at the big center. There were about Oh, I don't know, a hundred and something of us, teachers from all lineages, and the Dalai Lama came with us um, to visit us for a number of days. And he had to leave early, and so we um, created a, uh, two lines to say goodbye to him, and we were um, bowing. And there were people there that um, the Dalai Lama had known for many years, um, people who were his uh, deep friends like Robert Thurman and um, some of his translators who lived in LA who had come up especially to visit with him. And, and then there were people like me who he didn't know at all. And he went down the line and he bowed down, 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 all the way down until his, his head was not that far from the floor to his great friend, mm-hmm. Robert Thurman. And then bowed down all the way, all the way, as low to me. That this young woman that he or uh, well not so young woman that he didn't know. That's the kind of energy that we're talking about. This loving kindness that's like the rain, that that rains everywhere. You know, dry places, not dry places, trees. Um, Houses that house us if we have a lot of money or a little money, gay straight. Rain rains everywhere. Loving kindness is the same kind of energy. It is given openly without the sense of prejudice or preference or discrimination. I, w- I wanted to um, read a, a, then a story about um, 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 this kind of loving kindness that it's really the same as mindfulness. Loving kindness, you know, it's sort of like if you're teaching a waltz, you break everything down and you say, okay, now you put your step, your foot here, now you put your foot here, but actually. Each step isn't exactly the dance. So we break up a little bit, you know, the qualities of mind into what here's loving kindness and here's um, mindfulness. But they're actually the same. You can't have this kind of love without presence. And actually, you can't have presence or awareness or mindfulness without love. They both are the same thing. So it said, and then again, this is this wonderful symbol of the Dharma and these teachings, that it is a bird. We are, we are embodying a bird with two wings. One is mindfulness or awareness, and the other is compassion or loving kindness. And the bird can't fly without both. And that's true of loving kindness. So I wanted to read the story about uh um something of a challenge that we face uh this is miriam greenspan my first child lived and died in a hospital for children aaron arrived long and pink an unnamed sorrow in his seemingly ancient eyes his spirit encased in a flawlessly formed body that like a flower faded and died 66 days after his birth. In the days of my vigil with Aaron, I didn't leave the hospital except to go home to sleep. For the two months of his life, my world was Division 33, the neonatal neurology floor, a world of infants with shunts in their heads, children with bombed out vacant stairs, others whose brain chemistry was being slowly eroded by persistent, uncontrollable seizures. A world of beeping heart monitors, brain scans, and endless medical tests, of parents with the darkened eyes of unrelenting grief. A world of daily vigil prayer and incessant fear. What was wrong with my baby? Would I ever take him home? One of my first ventures out of this world was a necessary trip to the dentist. Mm -hmm. Dr. Ross inspected my teeth and gums and did whatever he did. I was not paying attention to my teeth because I was elsewhere with Aaron. Are you okay? Are you ill? The dentist asked me. His unexpected solicitousness was touching. And I responded simply, I'm not sick i have given birth to a child who can't leave the hospital. The tears flowed from my eyes unbidden. Without a word, the dentist turned and walked out of the room. At first I thought he had gone to get some implements, something he needed to finish the dental work. Clearly he wasn't done because I was left pinioned to my elevated chair with a dental <laughs> tray in my lap. But Dr. Ross never came back. I waited for some time before extricating myself from the chair and jumping down to the floor. I remember walking out onto the street where I could see only in black and white and shades of gray. My perception had altered the colors drained from my world. Why was this moment so memorable? The dentist was not a friend of mine. I had no expectations that he should attend to anything but the state of my teeth. His lapse in professional manners was no big deal, yet the absurdity of being left stranded in a dental chair because this decent man couldn't bear to be in the presence of my pain sent profound shock waves through me. It tapped into something larger, a common experience for people who are grieving, a sense of living a life that cannot be listened to. The isolation of feeling this way is dark enough to drain the colors from one's world." <coughs> and I read this um, because it seems that when we are feeling really groovy and high and comfortable, when the breath is easy, when someone has recognized us like, oh, Arena, you've given a good Dharma talk, then it is so easy to be loving, you know. But uh, uh, last year in the summer, I was asked to um, uh, speak at the Buddhist peace conference in um, Amherst College. Oh no, Hampshire Smith. well, Smith. No, 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 it was uh, this was a Buddhist Peace Conference. It was at Amherst or Hampshire, I forgot. Ha- Hampshire I th- no, Holyoke, Holyoke. <laughs> 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 and it was um I was on a panel and with um, um, uh, Ilda, um, Ilda Balderquin and uh, Diana Lyons from the Buddhist Peace Fellowship, and myself, and um, that we'd spoken first. Then Ilda was sitting in the middle, and then we were coming back again. And um, there were two really kind of uncomfortable-looking chairs, and then the chair in the middle had a cushion and was the most comfortable-looking, and. Um, I don't know if you know, Di- but Diana has um, h- um, had polio in her past and um, suffers from uh, the challenges of that and um, also chronic fatigue. So she said so she wasn't well. And um, I went and took the chair in the middle that was the comfortable chair with a cushion and I didn't give it to Diana. And afterwards, I felt mortified. And, um, and I thought to myself, this is really a hard place to love. You know, I would actually much rather turn away from this place inside of myself because it isn't a place that one likes to admit to and it isn't a place one likes to actually acknowledge and share with other people. Mostly what I notice about these places is that we sort of keep them silenced and hidden and we actually don't listen to them. We turn away from them as though truly who we were was the, the kind of person that's loving, that every now and again can experience this non-bargaining love, but we're not the type of person who in front of lots of people would take the most comfortable chair. And I talk about this because love, this love that we're talking about is the kind of love that holds both the places where it's easy and where we are healed, and also the places where we aren't. You know, and so as I um, worked hard not to push that part of myself out of my listening, but actually to invite it and to acknowledge and accept, in this moment, this is what came up can I listen to it? Can I be present for this kind of feeling? Now, it wasn't grief because my son wasn't dying, but it was a deep sense of inadequacy that I felt like had to be met by taking the most central and visible chair of the three. Like, this is, this is, This is a way I can be important because I'm sitting in the middle of the threesome, you know, rather than to one side, in the big chair with the pillow. The kind of practice that we're invited to is a practice that is able to listen to all of ourselves. And the delusion that we experience is that these places that we are ashamed of about ourselves, the places where we have either been very unskillful or harmful in some way, or maybe where we've stolen or been dishonest or whatever, because it, you know it's a little different to each one of us. That place is as much a part of our humanity as the part that is kind and loving. And we think, that it is peculiar to us, and I share this example with you to acknowledge the universality of all aspects of ourselves, that each one of us experiences that sense of inadequacy or insufficiency of not being good enough, as well as the moments of feeling fully blessed with love and compassion and presence and kindness. And that because we think it is our personal problem, we turn away from it as something to be ashamed of rather than acknowledging this is what we have been given as a community and as humanity. We have been given both. We've been given the capacity to practice in the ways that we have today. And we've been given these places that need to be listened to. And that when they're not listened to, we act out in these old habitual ways of harming. So this loving kindness is about listening to these places. Each one of us has particular places that um, because of our history and our karma are particularly strong, or because of particular circumstances that have happened in our life. It might be um, the loss and grief of getting a diagnosis of cancer. I was just with a student a few days ago who had been um, uh, diagnosed with a reoccurrence of cancer and that it was already quite uh, well developed and that kind of grief, or it could be the loss of, um, a re- of, a, of a relationship. We don't like to acknowledge these energies, particularly in the United States, which has this culture of optimism. You know, it's like if you're feeling despairing or lonely, or if you're grieving, then there's something wrong with you. It's pathologized and then immediately medicated because that's how a lot of money is made and that doesn't mean to say medication isn't good but it's this way in which we don't allow ourselves as a community to openly feel lonely or to grieve or to feel inadequate or insufficient to allow it as part of our humanity and in that To that extent to heal. So um, I love to think of of a story that Christina Feldman told when she was practicing in Tibet in a cave and she was um, um, by herself in this cave high up on the mountains had a great view and she said she was just getting really high on this practice of loving kindness sending out love. May all sentient beings be happy, may all sentient beings be well, may all sentient beings come to an end of suffering. And then comes the stray dog, you know, yapping and yapping and trying to grab at her food. And she's like, you know, you know, go away, go away. I'm practicing loving kindness. (laughs) And And the dog doesn't go away and the dog doesn't go away and then eventually it goes away and the next day She's there sitting at the entrance of her cave. What she says is i um, sending love to all S.B.'s sentient beings and um, And then the dog comes again and she just is like, you know You are interrupting my love and grabs the stone to throw it at the dog <laughs> And then, of course, she has such good karma, her teacher comes right at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, it was a beautiful lesson in how you know we can practice loving kindness to SBs. But uh, when it comes to um, the difficulties in our life, whether it's represented as a dog or a partner, or our own internal feelings, how hard it is, to practice loving-kindness. This practice is the practice that invites love, especially to those energies. And um, and it isn't just because it's a good practice, you know, like you have the Ten Commandments, this is a good rule, so do it. Um, but, <laughs> especially if you're rebellious, you hate that, which is why I mention it, because I'm so rebellious. Um, because, and this is why when the Buddha spoke, and he he spoke about the, um, his whole point of teaching was to talk about a heart that is infused with presence and love. He first talked about suffering. Because when we face our suffering, something very deep gets transmuted, and we begin to feel more deeply at home than if we don't and and it is that is how it is that when we turn to these places that are most difficult and give them our presence there is the heart cracks open and we live with a broken heart and uh, uh, Trumpa said that a spiritual warrior, the the culmination of a spiritual practice and a spiritual path, is to live with a broken heart, to live with a heart that is so full it breaks. So as um I have been turning to face those places that don't want to be faced, I or well, I. Can't I watch that habitual energy to call a friend, to turn on the TV, to put on a CD, to grab the newspaper, and and when I, I notice that, and I can put it down, and I turn to this, okay, I want to listen to myself, and then drop that thought, and just see what happens. Often, what I meet is loneliness, and I think it's, still that sort of coming into balance after my relationship and my marriage ended a couple of years ago. And I notice loneliness and it's like so hard. It's like, wow, it is so hard to allow that loneliness to live inside of me, to live inside of my body. And if I can do kind of what I mentioned yesterday, which is, not to sink into it like, oh, I'm so lonely, oh, my God, what am I going to do about my life? Or just to turn away, come on, Arena. you, you know, oh, one of my friends said this to me. She said, you, you know, it's been over two years, what's the problem? You know, it's so easy to take that voice on, you know, but just to say that I want you to know that I'm present for you in a way that dentists couldn't be, I'm present for you loneliness. And as we are able to bow down and to surrender to these places inside of ourselves, we come to that place of a broken heart, of a heart that's actually filled with love, because that's how it works. As we turn to those places, we we come back home to ourselves in a, a very deep and organic way. Um, so turning this loving-kindness, turning towards these places inside of ourselves, it feels um, uh, uh, also to me uh, uh, particularly important to turn this loving-kindness to those places where hatred has been institutionalized in mm. our culture. Mm. Because it's easy for loving-kindness to stay within the confines of the practice of SBs. You know, this kind of mass of sentient beings where we don't actually address the institutionalized hatred that lives inside of us. And so, for me, it feels really important, not just for me, I think for our community, it's really Uh, There's this wonderful invitation to heal in relationship to classism, racism, and homophobia, Um, and um, uh, um, sizism, and disability. I mean, all those places of institutionalized hatred. I say this um, because we already know what it means to experience institutionalized hatred as a GLBT community and the pain of it. And I know that we all have this vision inside of us of wanting to find ways to live together in respect and peace and harmony. That is what we would like. That's what we would like others to do in relationship us as a GLBT community it, it feels like you know some of us for um, because of, of particular reasons have experienced um, whether you know it's because we live in particular countries or because of um, our, our sexual orientation or class or, or race that we've experienced i um, very intense hatred directed at us and violence. And um, I have on a number of levels, as some of you have. And I have such a dream of finding ways for us to come together in respect and um, in love and in kindness. And when I, um, when I first came out, I, I um, try to manifest this dream um, in um, a piece of land called Oregon Women's Land Trust, which was the first piece of open land for women in Oregon. And it was just dykes and women, mostly dykes. And um, we got together living there, and our vision was to create a community that was free of sexism and homophobia uh, at the very uh, least. And we tried mightily and failed mightily and our community disintegrated. And uh, one of the reasons that it disintegrated is that we didn't have a spiritual practice and we didn't know how to uh, purify our own hearts and minds so that we could begin to manifest the vision um, uh, relationally one of the other reasons we failed is that we didn't address our own racism and classism and and i say this because like loneliness and inadequacy these energies are really painful to turn towards so um many of you have heard me talk about my car I had I had this old Toyota Tercel for 14 years, which was very rusted and very um, and and uh, uh, unclassy, and I used to feel ashamed of it when I would go to meetings of interfaith ministers, and they would all have their you know Honda Accords and RAVs and things, and I would come up with this car and, um, and, and, you know, and I know it was my internalized classism and, and I would acknowledge it and acknowledge it and acknowledge it. And um, then my car finally died and I got uh, a, a second-hand Camry, a 2000 second-hand Camry. Very smooth, very nice. Maroon with white line on the sides, nice acceleration, and now I get in my car, and it's it's just. I mean, you have to laugh. We have, you know, it's like I get in. I'm now I'm in my Camry. I'm like all the other ministers, you know. <laughs> I'm kind of more socially acceptable, <laughs> and and it's really humbling to keep noticing it, like that there is that that sense of inadequacy is so deeply conditioned that unless we look a particular way or have a particular thing, that we're not good enough, that we're not recognized. And it's painful to keep acknowledging and accepting this is what I'm meeting inside of myself. And yet I know that unless I do, I will continue to act out that kind of separateness and division. The same is true of racism. You know, um, the, um, my center, Dharma Dharmadena, uh, has instituted a, a, a series of retreats for people of color and someone just came to me and said, you know, we have to do X, Y, and Z to make sure that it's living. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just got put aside. You know, it it just got put aside because of that, of that, um, that, the, uh, of not stretching past the privilege of being in a white community and, um, and teaching a white community. Not making that, that, not, uh, um, uh, crossing to something that's a little more uncomfortable, which is Holyoke. And organizing the um, and supporting the community of meditators there, so this loving kindness is a loving kindness that actually is invited to every single aspect of ourself and the beautiful thing about it is that when we can love in this deep acceptance and forgiveness of ourselves as we are, there is a healing that comes about so that we act out less and less these conditioned energies and that is what we most want. That is what we most want in terms of how we relate to ourselves and it's what we most want in terms of how we relate to each other, which is a heart that is indiscriminate in its friendship. So let me um, end with a particular practice, wh- um, which is uh, a practice that, um, helps us come to, uh, that helps us come to that helps us come to this. Um, relationship or friendship? I I just want to do something a little different. Um, uh, In in just hearing this, is is anyone, any questions or do you feel some kind of um, uh, does this make sense, what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Is there any part that's like, no, I, I can't hear what you're saying? Yes. In, in order to recognize these things that you don't like to face in yourself, is there any other way to do so other than <coughs> walking meditation and sitting still and meditating the very we've I mean... Out in the daily life, you're busy driving places, you're interacting with people, Right. and then right. boom, you're in a situation right. in where right. you want to react, but you realize yeah. you shouldn't. Yeah. Right. Their way, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, the beauty of having the beauty of having a practice of sitting and walking is that it's kind of like going to the gym. Maybe we should switch this off right now while we're dialoguing. and Come back again. Let's uh, acknowledge together our capacity to love. That when we took the refuge this morning, we were resting in our intuitive understanding and wisdom that we have an unlimited capacity to love, to relate in friendship, And as a community, we call on this inside of our hearts, this love and friendship, to hold that which we are most ashamed of, our inadequacies, our unskillful actions, all that we like to keep dark and hidden we call on this capacity to hold these energies and to allow them in the environment of friendship and love. To allow them to live openly because we know this is shared by all beings, these places and spaces part of our heritage as a community and as humanity. Calling forth this love to love. And calling it forth to those areas that have been conditioned into hatred. Calling forth love to hold the places where we are racist or homophobic or where we have internalized homophobia or internalized racism or classism or ableism or sexism, allowing our love to hold these places, allowing them to be listened to, not turning away as the dentist did, but turning towards. In this may, in this way, may we as a community become free. May our suffering end. May we be able to live in peace.